Welcome to Fat Secrets, your audio companion to the Fat Secret app and website. Each episode, we'll be talking to experts in the field or people from our community to help unlock the secrets of effective weight management through good nutrition. My name is Ben Ryan, and I'm the product lead at Fat Secret. My job in the Fat Secret team is to learn about the challenges our users face when pursuing their weight goals, then communicate that back to our design and engineering teams so we can identify the best ways in which to help users reach their goals through the Fat Secret platform. You're listening to episode three. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Joanna Shinewell, who comes from Melbourne, Australia. For almost 20 years, Joe has provided specialist nutritional advice to elite athletes and professional sports teams, as well as consulting for companies in the nutrition industry and supporting private clients in their own pursuit of good nutrition. Let's share some secrets with Joe. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Let's kick off. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what is your uh, job? What, what is it that you do? So I am a dietitian. I did specialise in sports dietetics. So for the last 19 years, I've been working with professional and elite athletes Mm -hmm. um, in various sports, but that's probably taken up about 60 to 70% of my workload. Mm -hmm. The other sort of 30, 40% has been general dietetics aligned with general med. So weight loss, dealing with heart disease, diabetes, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But also I've been working with food companies, um, helping them develop products that are more appropriate for consumers and also helping them elevate their product through the way they market and promote their products. Okay. Um, and what's the, what would you say is the difference between, say, a dietitian and, say, a nutritionist or um, some so, of the other roles? Well, back, back when I graduated, when you graduated from the dietetics degree, you actually were clinically trained, which meant that you could work in hospitals, mm-hmm. you could work in medical clinics, um, anywhere where you are dealing with a one-on-one dietary relationship, specifically in the medical area. Mm-hmm. Um, and nutritionists were trained back then to do more generalised education and planning. So that's when nutritionists would have been doing um, uh, working for food companies and advising them on, I guess, claims that they could make and working out part of their descriptors for their products or advising them on what they should do. They also would give – so they might work in a gym and give people generalised information about what they could change in their diet to achieve their goals. Okay, whereas you give more uh, specific – uh, advice. You, you, exactly right. So more of an eating plan or a specific tailored um, eating schedule for the individual. Right. Okay. Um, and what would you say are some of the key differences between, say, the the people you work with at the elite level versus like the general public? I mean, interestingly, you know, I always say now to the general public is that we have to eat as though we are elite athletes, only from the point of view that. of an elite athlete's performance is actually above the shoulders. So they actually have to fuel their brain appropriately. And now the research is really strong about the link between the gut and the brain. Right. So the average person out there actually has to eat in a very similar fashion that they're eating to give their gut what it needs so it fuels the brain so that they can have a productive life, so that they can actually have a positive outlook on life, 
so that they're, you know, not feeling fatigued. So it's quite similar. The only difference with, I guess, elite athletes where I spend a lot of my time and energy is educating them on recovery from their exercise. Right. Because if they recover well, which means that they rehydrate, they refuel and they replenish, they can back up their training sessions as well as their competition phases more efficiently. Okay. And what's the difference between, uh, say, training and recovery phases? So training is when um, you're preparing an athlete to make sure they've got enough fuel in the tank to get through a training session. Mm -hmm. And the way I educate my athletes is that they have to think about every time they go out and train, they want to improve by something, whether it be 5% or 0.1%, it doesn't matter, but each session should be an improvement on the last. Right. So you go out, you fuel for that session if you don't recover efficiently, there's no way you can get the gains for the next session okay. because recovery is really about getting your body back to a base where it can go out the next session and, and be fired up to charge off again. Okay. And is the focus on um, just on, say, a calorie number or is it based on, uh, say, a macro distribution or something like that? Or how, Yeah. How, it's, yeah. Recovery is a macro dis- distribution and it's individualised based on the weight of the individual and the sport as well as what position they may play within a team sport as well. Right, okay. Um, So when um, members of the public come to see you um, for, say, a a meal plan or something like that, what are the the things that they would come to you for? Is it um, for medical conditions or weight loss or...? um... Um, I guess because I'm also in the sports industry, I get people coming to me not just for I guess your weight loss or newly diagnosed you know uh, medical conditions whether it be diabetes cholesterol those sorts of things but I also get people that come to me for individualized sport that cannot tap into a dietitian through their association Mm -hmm. or if they are an amateur athlete because they just want to excel as a weekend warrior right okay so a lot of them you know are not just doing it I mean they're doing it for pleasure but then when they get into the groove of it and it becomes a bit of an addiction, yeah. they actually want to excel and improve. Yeah. Okay. Um, what was it that brought you to the profession in the first place? I mean, like a lot of other people's stories, mine was my own medical history. Mm-hmm. So when I finished school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I um, went into and did art science because I thought I'll find something in there. Uh-huh. I always was very interested in how the body functioned. So after I finished my art science degree, I actually did an honours year in exercise physiology uh-huh. because I was interested in how far you could push the body under intense exercise. But at the same time, my own medical conditions were that I had bowel-related issues. Right. And after seeing many doctors and many specialists, I ended up having surgery. Mm. But part of the process before getting to surgery was I actually had to start taking a really intense look at my own diet, my own exercise, my own fluid intakes, and I had to manipulate them in so many different ways to see if one or the other was going to improve my gut health. Yep. Um, Unfortunately, surgery ended up being the only option for me. Mm. But through that process, my interest in the effect of food on the body just grew. Yeah. So I married that with my interest in, you know, how far you can push the body and how food is so important in getting that. I mean, my great this has really been that how can 
improve as individuals if we're not fueling our bodies the best way. And it is tricky in today's world with a lot of foods on the market that don't support ideal nutrition. Right, yes. Um, so what, what are the most common challenges for people who want to get their weight under control? Um, I would say changing habit is probably mm. the hardest thing because a lot of us live in what I like to call default mode. Yeah. And default mode is we just go about our business doing what we do. More often than not, we're eating foods or, or cooking recipes that we've grown up with. Yeah. So as adults, trying to change a habit is actually a, a process that involves time but conscious behaviour for a period of time. Right. And I think if people, you know, people have to invest. It's a, it is a massive investment. So I say to people when they come to me that I'll hold your hand through the process. I'm here at your disposal 24-7. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's your house, your kitchen, your lifestyle yeah. So you still have to take the bull by the horns. Yeah. Um, so I think changing habit is probably the most difficult thing and that's why people do tend to fall off the wagon. Yeah. And um, would that be uh, significantly more challenging for people who are, say, in a household where they're the only one that's trying to change the habit but everyone else around them is trying to is not, is not trying to change their habit necessarily? Oh, absolutely, because then unfortunately if you've got a household with more than two people, you actually end up cooking, you know, three, four meals a day, which is exhausting, which becomes expensive. Um, And I guess, you know, we live in a fast-paced world now where people want convenience. Yeah. And if it's not convenient, it doesn't last. Right. Um, And would there be any tips you would give people uh, in terms of where to start? Like when, how do they make that first step? Um, I guess the first step is actually planning out, taking small steps in planning out a week, for yeah. example. So if you actually can plan out, you know, a Sunday to Sunday, mm-hmm. every meal and being realistic about the fact that you don't want the meals to be convoluted and complicated, you know, minimising the amount of ingredients that you're going to need to use mm-hmm. where you can just add flavours even at the last minute but you've yeah. done a majority of the prep so that it's easy to put together at each meal. Yeah. Uh, Okay. And when it comes to doing prep, like how far in advance should people do that? Oh, I think if you're planning the week ahead, there's no reason why you can't do seven days in advance. And also with that, that means there is nothing wrong with having to make life easy in the beginning. Whatever you have for dinner one night can become lunch the next day. Right. Because then that that cuts down severely on um, the amount of food you need to prepare. Yeah. And um, so when people come to you, how knowledgeable would you say they are when it comes to, say, good nutrition and exercise? I get a huge array um, of people. Some have, and when I say no idea, I'm not saying that in to be disrespectful. Yeah. It's just I actually feel that a lot of us leave school and are not educated about nutrition. Yeah. So where people pick up their information from, unfortunately, is their own searches, which can lead them down a path that's not so appropriate. Mm. Um, but then I've got some people that are highly educated. I've got some athletes that obviously recognise that nutrition is one of those things that they need to take on board for those one percenters Yeah, and their knowledge is highly advanced. Yeah, okay. Um, and I guess there's a, there's a, a bit of a, a rabbit burrow in terms of the um, amount of information that you can, can get. Like how much would you say is enough to be functional? 
Like what, are, um, what are the what, things about nutrition that people need to know? Well, unfortunately, nutrition is still, when I say boring, yeah. we need to go back to basics with yeah. a lot of people. So, you know, no one wants to hear eat more vegetables, eat more fruit. Mm. We, we all know we need to be doing that. Mm. And interestingly, some strong research has come out that <clears throat> not only if we want to improve our health, but we also want to do some work for the planet. <laughs> Yeah. We actually need to be eating more plant-based foods. Yeah. So, you know, I can keep saying to people vegetables are healthy. People know that. They want to know how can I make vegetables more interesting so I can eat them more often. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, I go through the basics with people, but I can see that their eyes just are glassy and don't want to uh-huh. hear it. Yeah. 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 So part of that comes down to um, the 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 person wanting to change their weight. They also have to change their attitudes to food, or oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the you can cut corners to a certain degree, like anything in life. Yeah. But eventually, it catches up with you. So yeah. what I mean by that is, you could essentially eat the same meals that you're eating. Yeah. And the way you could lose weight would be by just reducing the portion of what you're eating. Yeah. Right. So you're reducing your total calories. But if the distribution of the macros or the quality of the food is poor, you're still going to hit another baseline that you still may not be happy with. Yeah. So everyone's going to get to that point where their bodies will sit comfortably. But if you need to push it further, that's when you need to start getting into the quality of the food, the timing of the food, the macro distribution of the food. Okay. Um, what are some things that uh, people should look for when it comes to, like, quality of food and, and macros, for example? Well, unfortunately at the moment because the science doesn't point to the fact that I can assign a particular diet to a particular individual, mm. a lot of it is a bit of a, when I say guessing game, it's trial and error until you find the right style of eating that's appropriate for you. Right, okay. So you can start with just, you know, eating a nice balanced diet where, you know, you've got a certain percentage of carbohydrates, proteins and fats coming in Mm -hmm. with lots of fresh produce as well. Yeah. If that drops your weight to a certain point, which it may from a calorie, you know, requirement point of view, Mm -hmm. you might find that, look, I've still got extra body fat to lose. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this amount of exercise but my body has plateaued you might need to change the style of eating in terms of your macro distribution mm-hmm. to let's say a more, if we want to call it paleo-friendly or whether we want to call it, you know, high protein, yep. it becomes a trial and error until you get to a place where you're comfortable. Right. Now, me talking this way, I guess, errs on the side of caution mm-hmm. where some people may never be happy yeah, because they always feel that I can do more. But it's also got to be realistic long-term. And if you're going to indulge in a type of eating plan that is not sustainable long-term, you've also got to think about, well, how realistic are my goals? Mm -hmm. And how do people uh, sort of make that kind of assessment? Is it um, by by, uh, reading up on things like like where their body fat percentages should be for someone their age or is it... uh, Getting medical advice or yeah, I mean, yeah. I would say you always go to a health professional because there's a few factors. There's also there's where where do you sit medically, mm. your your age, how much exercise are you actually doing, and is it the right type of exercise for you? Yeah, um, you know what sort of if you are going to try a certain diet, 
are you going to be missing out on some vitamins and minerals which could then lead to some issues down the track? Yeah. So I think the first port of call is probably a health professional, yeah. a, G- a GP who can then, you know, advise who would be the most appropriate person to monitor you through the changes. Right, okay. And so if uh, you wanted to be mindful of, um, say, some of those health uh, risks that might surface from specific ways of dieting, um, is it preferable to, like, get, like, a, a suite of blood tests or whatever before you start, those sorts of things? Or? Yeah. If, you've got, if you're talking about deficiencies, then definitely. I think it's yeah. really important before you make any dramatic changes to see where your blood sit because if you're already deficient going into something new, yeah. you want to you correct that or at least correct it through the process. Yeah. And that correction could be as easy as just adding in a few things or taking out a few things from a dietary point of view. Mm-hmm. Or if the deficiency is quite extreme, you may need to look at supplementation. Right, okay. Um, and if I want to follow a, a specific diet like keto or Mediterranean, what would be the deciding factors that I should consider before starting? I think the first thing is what have you done in the past? Mm-hmm. You know, so if certain things haven't worked in the past... I guess you need to think about why they didn't work. Did they not work because I didn't give them a long enough chance to work? You know, if you just give something a week, you're not necessarily going to achieve goals in a week. Yeah. Um, What are my other lifestyle factors? So in terms of do I have a family that I'm also catering for? How's that going to fit for my family? Am I working? Am I going to be able to take everything I need into work with me? So I think you've got to look at the realistic options of your world and understand, um, I guess the best way to put it is, how is this diet going to fit into the world that I live in today? Yeah. And then the next step would be, you know, just starting, if you've never done anything before, starting with probably the balanced diet because yeah. that's, that's, that aligns closely with um, a lot of, healthy eating guides that are associated with most countries around the world. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then embarking on something that you feel might be appropriate depending on how much exercise you're doing um, and what other goals you may have. Okay. Um, and is there a, like, just in general terms, how long should people give a diet um, a go before assessing whether or not it's getting the results they want? I'd say somewhere between the four to six week mark. Right. Okay. And they they should should be seeing some some kind of change in that time. Um, well, that's the thing. Not necessarily. I've had private clients that I've changed their diet and they've gotten to four weeks and seen no result. And you can imagine the frustration. Yeah. And the I don't want to do this anymore, or you know, give me something else to do. Mm. And I've had to sort of ride them and say, come on, keep going, keep going. And then by week five, week six, they start seeing it happen. Right. And that's, I've seen that, and this is quite, it's an anecdotal comment, but I've seen it with people that have yo-yo dieted through their lives. Right. That their bodies become maybe, let's call it stubborn Uh and don't respond for quite some time until the change feels a bit more permanent. Okay. So there's like a natural resistance built in for some people. Yeah, that, that's what I've seen. I don't know if the research is there about yeah. that, but it's definitely yeah. what I have seen in private practice. Right, okay. Um, so there's also uh, a couple of other questions. It's like um, if I am exercising, um, how much of a role does exercise truly play? Because like a lot of people, the first thing they do when they want to lose weight is join a gym, but is that really the right way to go? 
Yeah, I think, look, I think for people that are not active at, at the moment, um, beginning exercise and not flogging yourself but just getting the body moving is an important step. Yeah. Number one, there's a few factors. The first is that I find that once people start being active, all of a sudden their mindset changes and they feel they need to eat well to balance out the exercise anyway. Yeah. So there's a bit of a psychological play on the whole thing. Um, as you, if you are already very active or as your exercise starts increasing, it does become the food that is the, let's call it the more important part of getting your weight down. Mm. What the exercise tends to do is number one, reduce body fat because you're actually building muscle or strengthening muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can change your body shape more than actually reducing your body weight. Right. Okay. Um, and if they're wanting to uh, purely just reduce their weight, then is diet a more more optimum way to go or is exercise yeah. still got a role to play? I find diet initially definitely does. Yeah. Um, but, again, I'd like to say to, you know, everybody is try to get some form of exercise into your life because it's part of, you know, a healthy lifestyle. It all sort of we, – we know the research now about – just even for heart health, so forget weight mm. loss, how important it is to keep the heart pumping rather than just letting it be quite sedentary or yeah. the body sedentary. Yeah. Um, are there any uh, tips and tricks that you might have up your sleeve for people who are, find their motivations flagging a bit? Um, well, what motivation? So I guess the the... the it depends. Like, and again, I would only be doing this under the guidance of someone. I wouldn't do it yourself. I have found mm. with some private clients that have, you know, they, they're not motivated, but they know they want it. I've done some extreme things, like even, mm. and it's not something I would actually get people to do on their own because yeah. you actually do need to be monitored. So extreme things like I call like a juice cleanse or something like that, which goes against the dietetic fraternity. It's not part of what we practice. But I do that more because I feel that people feel like they're actually um, taking a very giant leap for a very short period of time, which helps them get momentum to make change. Right, okay. But, again, it has to be the right individual embarking on it. It's not something that I would just say everyone should go and do. Yeah. Um, I guess other ways from a motivation point of view would be um, things that make you sort of feel good, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, rewarding yourself when you have made a change. And I don't mean reward in terms of if you've done some dietary changes, therefore you should go out and eat that piece of cake. (laughs) I'm I'm talking about, you know, if you've made some small changes doing something for you that makes you feel good, which might be mm. if you're also exercising at the same time, go and get a massage right, or, okay. you know, just find some pleasures to keep you motivated. Yeah, okay. Um, so there's all these uh, magic bullet type solutions out there, which uh, I guess a lot of people spend a lot of money on. Yes. Um, but if I'm looking to lose weight, is there actually a quick and easy way to reach that goal? Um, no, well, it's making the right changes for you, really. Um, and also, I guess, back to the whole motivation thing, which is, you know, finding what's right for you is also finding other people that you can communicate with Mm. so that you can lean on each other for support, whether it be if you want to see a one-on-one, you know, dietitian, 
but importantly building a little bit of a community for yourself of people that might go for walks with you that, you know, possibly even you could share meals with, you know, so you do batch cooking and swap um, or share recipes. So if you've got people to lean on, I think number one helps the motivation but also helps keep you going so that you get some quick results early on because you're, you're talking about the same things to the same people with the same motivations always helps. Mm. So people of a similar birds of a feather type Correct. of thing? Correct. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, we were talking about, uh, say, portion reduction to reduce calories and that sort of thing before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I'm someone, so what, what's a healthy um, what's a healthy rate of weight loss? Would you say for for people who are trying to manage their weight? So I usually say anywhere between half a kilo and a kilo a week, depending on the changes that you make, the exercise you do, and the weight that you are. Mm. So if it's half a kilo, then that's awesome. Like yep. no one should be disappointed by half a kilo. Yeah. Um, you've got to remember you want to be losing body fat. You don't want to be losing muscle mass. Yeah. So people can do silly things and put themselves in what we call a catabolic state right. where they what, start losing muscle. What's a catabolic state? So catabolic state is when your body starts eating into its own muscle mass. Right. And you reduce your muscle mass as weight, which is not what you want. And that's when you go no. in too far a caloric restriction. Right. Okay. So, you know, you really want to be losing body fat because fat is, I mean, we need some, mm. but it's actually not an advantageous part of our mass. Right. Okay. So it's catabolic. Is that like a really extreme version of ketosis or something, is it? Or? Well, it's not a type of diet, but it's what the effects of being in an extreme diet can do. Right, okay. So it can eat into your muscle mass. Okay. Uh, I guess... Um, uh, like I go to an F45 myself and often see people in there um, talking about being on um, their meal plans and, and finding that the, they're still feeling hungry. So if you're like on a calorie-restricted diet and you're still feeling hungry, what sort of signal is that that you're, you're getting from your body? Well, it's, it's two things because one, it can be I find a lot of people don't know the difference between hunger and thirst. Right, yep. And we're often more dehydrated than we are hungry. Yeah. So the first thing I always say to someone is up your fluids mm-hmm. and see what happens. If that doesn't work, then the next thing they can do is eat more what we call zero-calorie foods if, if they're in the right range for them. Right. So zero-calorie foods would be upping your vegetables and salad ingredients okay. because they don't deliver you any calories, but your body still has to find the energy to digest and absorb the nutrients. Okay. So what that means is that the body has to expend more energy to break those foods down, but it's getting nothing in return. So you're still going to be in what we call a calorie deficit, which will help you achieve weight loss. Okay. And what would some, uh, all vegetables, zero calorie foods or are there some? No. No. So all all the vegetables you can eat are all of them, except what I would call your starchy vegetables. So your starchy vegetables are more like your potato, your sweet potato, Mm -hmm. um, pumpkin, peas, corn, that sort of thing. Okay. And so the like leafy greens, those sorts of things? Leafy greens, um, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, broccoli, eggplant, capsicum, tomato, Mm -hmm. um, cucumber, all of those are fine. 
Right. Okay. Is that because they've got a high water content or is it? Um, yeah, high water know. and high water, but also they've got fibre in them. So the fibre keeps you a bit fuller. Right. Okay. Um, so fibre fibre, and um, is protein also a contributor to feeling full or is like how are the people, how should people make help themselves feel full? Yeah. So fibre and water will make you feel full. Uh-huh. Protein has what we call a satiating effect. Right. So it helps keep you satisfied. So again, there's a difference between being hungry and being mm-hmm. satisfied. Right. And so I always say to people, when you leave a meal, you never need to be full. Mm. You actually need to be mentally satisfied. And that's what protein does. So that's why some of these high-protein or keto-style diets work for some people because they can walk away from meals not feeling full, even feeling a little bit empty but feeling totally satisfied. Right, okay. And what role do do fats play in a diet? So fats are, from from a dietary point of view, they're highly palatable. Mm-hmm. So you can, you know, when you put a fat in your mouth, it coats your mouth. It makes the mouth feel really nice and um, comfortable, uh-huh. and probably also a bit satiated, so a bit yeah. satisfied. So if you mm-hmm. think about it, when you put something like, you know, even like a nut butter, like mm-hmm. a peanut butter or something yeah. in your mouth, it's really that creaminess, that silkiness on the palate is really satisfying. Yeah. Um. From Other than that, from a dietary point of view, it delivers really amazing and important nutrients. So we've got four fat-soluble vitamins that we can only get from fats, mm-hmm. and that's your vitamin A, your vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K. Right. So fat actually is really an important role for those, but also fat plays a role in hormone production. Mm-hmm. So we do need fats for so many different parts of how the body functions, and that's why cutting fats out is not an ideal thing to do. I mean, cutting any nutrient out is not ideal. Mm. Um, in regards to fats contributing to hormone uh, production, does that is that like a regulator of mood as well or is it? Um, yeah, well, some of the hormones are mood regulators, so definitely. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what's the difference between good fats and bad fats? So I guess they've really got those terms because of the implications on health. So the bad fats were given the name because they can increase the risk of certain diseases like heart disease by Uh building up cholesterol in the vessels. The good fats can minimise those effects, but they're good because they have so many good um, implications on the body. Right, okay. And what would be some sources for good or bad fats? So the good fats are, I guess, well, first and foremost, the ones I like to promote are part of the polyunsaturated family, which are the omega-3 fats. Mm-hmm. And that's because we know that most of the Western diets don't have enough omega-3s. Mm-hmm. So that omega- come from like fish and that sort yep, of thing? Yeah. exactly. So it comes from fish, but also comes from things like chia seeds, walnuts and linseeds. Uh-huh. Um, also in the um, polyunsaturated families, other nuts and seeds as well. Right, okay. The other good fats are your monounsaturated fats. So that's things like avocado, um, canola, um, olives, and their oils as right, well. yeah. Um, what we call the bad fats, what got a bad rap for years, is the saturated fats. 
Mm-hmm. And these are the fats that are found predominantly in animal foods. Mm-hmm. So the, the fat that you see marbled through the red meat or around the edge of the red meat, which is that white colour. Yeah. When you pull the skin off the chicken, you get this sort of little bit of like a sticky, fibrous um, material between the flesh and the actual skin, and that's fat. Right, yeah. So it's that fat that's considered bad fat. Um, the byproducts of animal food, so the fat in dairy, mm-hmm. is a saturated fat. Um, there are some plant sources that contain saturated fat, like palm oil and coconut oil. Yeah. Palm oil, I think, is probably a problem more because of what it's doing to the environment in yep. terms of the orangutans are losing their homes. Yeah. Um, but the coconut is still on the fence. Right. And the reason it sits on the fence is because the type of saturated fat that it is, is it's not at what we call a short chain saturated fat, which is like the other ones that I spoke about. Yep. It's actually more of a medium chain fat. Mm-hmm. So, again, as I say, jury's out. The research is not completely there about where it sits in the saturated family from a good or bad point of view. Right, okay. I know a lot of a lot of um, people that have been in the gym for years have used saturated fat from coconuts yeah. as part of fueling their muscles, which is right. another word what they call MCT oil. So right. medium chain triglyceride is a coconut oil. Right. Okay. Um, so do, what what do they use that for? To like load up on calories before? Correct. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and what are your thoughts about the optimum intake for water, which you mentioned before? Yeah, again, I like to go based on somebody's body weight. I mean, the old, you know, two litres a day doesn't mm. work for everyone. I yep. tend to say to people, if you weigh between, you know, if you weigh about 30 kilos, mm. like, for, sorry, not if you weigh, for every 30 kilos you weigh, you need yeah. about a litre of fluid. Right, Okay. Yeah, 30 kilos is pretty light unless you're yeah, a child. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So for every 30 kilos, so therefore if you're 60, around 60 kilos, you need about two litres. Right, okay. Um, and there's quite a few different diet types or diet plans out there. What are, what are some that you would recommend or what are the differences between them, I, I guess? Yeah, I guess the difference between most of the diet plans out there is their macro distribution. Yeah. Um, but within each diet, there is a calorie, well, not all, I should say, actually. Um, there is generally a calorie distribution amongst each diet. Right. Some what does that diets, mean? So that means that within um, a particular diet style, you can find a calorie requirement suitable for you based on your goals. Right. So if you want to lose weight, you would find a particular calorie requirement to help you achieve that weight loss. If you need to maintain weight, that would be a different calorie requirement. If you wanted to gain weight, that would be different again. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Some diets don't actually give calorie requirements they might just be more of a scheduled eating. So, for example, the intermittent fasting, mm. often if you actually look at most plans out there, doesn't actually give you a calorie requirement for the other five days if you're doing the 5-2. Right, okay. Or even if you're doing the 18-6 or whatever it might be. Mm. It's just about fasting or very, very, very low calorie intake for a portion of time. Okay. 
so that that might lead to a what a cycle of binging and binge and bust or correct and that's what mm. I, I found that it does mm. um, unless that someone has you know their other five days or their sixteen hours quite controlled right yeah okay all right I'll move into the last section um, if I'm someone who's just decided I need to change my diet or been told I need to change my diet and I don't really know where to start, what would you recommend as my first step? I would actually say contact a dietitian mm-hmm. um, just so that they can do a full analysis of where you're at, where you've been and what else might need to be done in terms of making that change. If you, um, a, a lot of dietitians will probably provide you with an eating plan or at least somewhere to start with maybe some education material if it's not a plan. Yeah. But that would probably be my first port of call. Right. Okay. Um, and if I'm someone with a weight goal of, say, losing weight, um, are there any words of advice you'd give me? I would say try to look at the short-term goals initially. Yeah. Um, don't look too far in advance because if you're thinking, you know, it's a large amount and it's 12 mm. months away, you can lose sight of that very quickly. Right. Okay. So I would say try and tackle the first fortnight then see how you go and after that another fortnight. And if you've already got four weeks down, you're on a really good path. Right, okay. Um, After that four weeks, I would say you'd need to start making changes to what you're doing so that boredom doesn't kick in because once boredom kicks in, it's very easy to go off the rails. Right, okay. And uh, if I'm looking to just maintain my weight, uh, would that advice change at all? Um, not really. I mean, I think it's, you've got to be realistic about your lifestyle again, as I mentioned before. Yeah. So if you are someone that goes out with friends and occasionally has a glass of wine or, you know, you do eat at restaurants quite frequently or you're travelling, yeah. you've got to be realistic about how is that going to fit into my plan because my yeah. lifestyle's not changing. Yeah. So if, whether it be weight loss or weight maintenance, I call it compensation. So if you are, if you do have a night out or you've got a function, I would say, first of all, know where you're going, which may be if you can get your hands on a menu before so you know what to order, yeah. like be smart about it. Yeah. Or if you're not so sure, have something small to eat before you go so you'll be able to control your appetite when you get there. Right, yeah. So you're not missing out on a social life. You're not missing out on indulgence. You're just being smart about how you approach it. Right. So being being prepared before uh, um, unexpected disruptions Absolutely. land on you. Yeah. Exactly okay. right. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, and just lastly, um, are there any resources that you would recommend, be they books, podcasts, uh, TED Talks or other video resources? Um, there's a lot of, you know, great information on TED Talks, but a lot of it I find is a bit scientific. But if you're... Yeah. If you're up for sort of understanding the science behind different diet streams, that's probably a good port of call. Yeah. Um, Is there the, anything in speci- specific that you would you would recommend? Um, not really. I've seen some great, you know, um, I guess um, TED Talks on intermittent fasting. There's some good mm. ones on there. Um, but if you want more generalised information, I would actually, firstly, the Dietitians Association of Australia has some fact sheets about different types of diets Mm -hmm. Um, and even diets, even if they're not sort of about, you know, controlling weight, they've got ones, you know, that might be in relation to allergies or intolerances as well. So getting an understanding of different foods out there like FODMAP and that sort of thing. Right. 
Um, if you, uh, I guess, are an active individual that wants to look at their diet and how to bring their diet into weight loss but I'm really active, then I would look at the Sports Dietitians Association website because they've also got some good fact sheets on there. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, other, I'm trying to think of any sort of specific podcast that I can off the top of my head. Um, I mean, you know, you've got to find people that are at the forefront of the research area, mm. to be completely honest, which unfortunately then their information becomes quite sciencey, yeah. and then the rest of us have to break it down to make it simple and practical for the individual. Yep. So, yeah, that's probably my best bet would be the Dietitians Association and Sports Dietitians Associations of Australia. All right, cool. Thanks very much, Joe, for uh, giving us like a, a really rich... Uh swathe of information you're very welcome you've been listening to fat secrets we'd like to remind listeners that the diet that works for some may not be advisable for others and we recommend always seeking medical advice when introducing changes to your diet or exercise routines if you enjoyed this episode please help share the secrets of weight loss by leaving us a review or telling a friend or 10 via the share feature in your podcast app of choice I'm your host, Ben Ryan. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another interview that unlocks more of the secrets of weight management.